0: So children make their way to junior church. As we begin, we're going to be looking at several passages here in just a moment as we begin the message. I want to give my thanks to those that helped do the hanging of the greens yesterday. Thank you for their help. I believe the sanctuary looks just quite beautiful with the Christmas tree up and the other Advent hangings. And I appreciate them and I thank them for their work. A preacher went to his office on a Monday morning and discovered a dead mule in the churchyard. He called the police since there did not appear to be any foul play. The police, since there did not appear to be any foul play, the police referred the preacher to the health department. They said since there was no health threat that he should call the sanitation department. The sanitation manager said he could not pick up the mule without authorization from the mayor. Now the preacher knew the mayor and was not eager to call the mayor. The mayor had a bad temper and was generally hard to deal with, but the preacher called him anyway. The mayor did not disappoint. He immediately began to rant and rave at the pastor and finally said, Why did you call me anyway? Isn't it your job to bury the dead, to bury this dead mule? The preacher asked the Lord to direct his response, and the preacher said, Yes, mayor. It is my job to bury the dead, but I always like to notify the next of kin first. (laughs) It doesn't relate directly to the sermon, but wanted to get you laughing as we began today. We begin our Advent series. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the hope. The hope of the world. Today we begin with just a various intro. Jesus was prophesied as the hope of the world. He was prophesied as the hope of the world. Years ago, an S-4 submarine was rammed by a ship off the coast of Massachusetts. It sank immediately. The entire crew was trapped in a prison house of death. Every effort was made to rescue the crew, but all ultimately failed. Near the end of the ordeal, a deep-sea diver who was doing everything in his power to find a way for the cruise release thought he heard tapping on the steel wall of a sunken ship, of the sunken ship. He placed his helmet up against the side of the vessel, up against the side of the submarine, and he realized it was Morse code, Morse code being tapped along the side of this sunken submarine. He attached himself to the side and, and spelled out in his mind the message being tapped from within. It was repeating the same question. The question was from within Is there any hope? Is there any hope? They're waiting for hope. They're waiting on hope to be rescued out of the sunken submarine. Who is our hope? Jesus. Amen. Jesus. Jesus the Christ. Is our hope a politician? No. Who is our hope? Jesus. From the Christian worldview, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Today, my theme is that Jesus was prophesied as the hope of the world. Jesus was prophesied as the hope of the world. As I begin, I'm going to walk down here today to light our Advent candle. We'll have others light it in the coming weeks, but today I'm lighting it as part of this message. Uh, The Advent wreath is a tradition of generations, that represents the longing for the coming of Jesus, the coming of our Savior. A candle on the wreath is lit each Sunday to signify the promise of the arrival of Christ, the arrival of Christ, the light of the world. Today, we light the first candle. Today, we light the first candle, the candle of hope. Let's get this wick lit while I do this. This is the candle of hope which is the same message as the message of the sermon. The Israelites lived in hope, hope through their enslavement, hope through their exodus, hope through their years of struggle to establish. Let's see if I let go. and There we go. It's lit now. The Israelites were waiting, right? They were waiting on the Messiah. They were waiting on the Christ child. Through the whole Old Testament, they were waiting that's what advent means. Advent means waiting. The idea of waiting on a savior, waiting on the savior. And so the Israelites were waiting. They were they were waiting in hope. They waited for their Messiah. And God's promise is now with us. We wait in hope as well, but we now hold the promise of salvation through the Messiah. Our hope of eternal life is before us. Our hope is in the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. And so I light that first candle. Now, I want to get into first, though, where is Jesus in the Old Testament? They're waiting on the Savior. They're waiting on the Messiah. But, but where is Jesus in the Old Testament? And there's, there's lots of places we could go with that. We could go to what are called Christophanies or Christophanies, which are appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament, which, which are really, really awesome times where it seems as though what we're seeing when it says angel of the Lord, we're actually seeing Jesus in a visible form in the Old Testament. We see it in 1 Samuel 3 and in many other places in the Old Testament. But I want to get into where in the Old Testament is it talking about Jesus as the hope of the world? Where is it talking about waiting on the Messiah? Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? Jesus was active in the Old Testament. Jesus was the active agent in creation. You can see that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and following, that as God the Father was creating, he was actually creating through Jesus, through Christ. Uh, Christ was the active agent in creation. But where are the prophecies of Jesus showing that he is the hope of the world? And as I look at that, I think, where do I even begin? Genesis 3.15, right after the first sin, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God speaks to the serpent and speaks to the woman. The serpent is possessed by Satan, by the devil. And God speaks to the serpent possessed by Satan. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first prophecy of the Messiah. The first prophecy that somewhere in the future, God's going to send a savior. One of... My favorite Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it seems as though the fourth verse is referring to Genesis 3.15. The fourth fourth verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, written by Charles Wesley, reads like this. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head, Adam's likeness now face, stamp thine image in his place, final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Notice how it refers to the woman's conquering seed, the woman's conquering seed being Jesus, the Messiah. And this verse is known in Christendom as the Proto-Evangelium, or the first good news, because it's the first foretelling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Using an emphatic Hebrew construction, God announced here that a male descendant, he, would someday deal the serpent, meaning Satan, a fatal blow. The New Testament writers understood Jesus Christ to have fulfilled this prophecy. Verse 15 here is messianic. This is the first prophecy of the Messiah. Her offspring will give a death blow to the devil. Eve's offspring will give a death blow to the devil. Bruise his head means a death blow. Verse 15 also says that there will be enmity between her offspring and the devil, and the devil's offspring, maybe demons. We still have that sin struggle, don't we? And often I thought that that enmity between our offspring just meant all of us. But in this context, and in many contexts, seed in the Bible is singular. It's not referring to many, it's referring to one seed, which is the Messiah, which is Jesus. Jesus. We have Hagar and her seed, which is Ishmael. This does not mean seed as sperm, just seed as offspring. Seed as offspring. It's a singular word referring to seed right here. So this passage uses her offspring saying he, and that is masculine singular, meaning one person, the man Christ Jesus. The first prophecy, the first good news that God is gonna send a savior. Think about that. There'll be one offspring, Jesus. And he will deliver the death blow to Satan. And he has delivered the death blow to Satan. So right here, after the first sin, God gives grace. Right here, after the first sin, God gives grace that he's gonna send a savior. Now I wanna look at another passage. Almost almost to the middle of your Bibles, Isaiah chapter nine, verses six to seven. Isaiah chapter nine, verses six through seven. For to us, a child is born, We're actually going to look at three passages from Isaiah, and you might know this passage from Handel's Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is so prophetic about Jesus, our hope. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. You know, Jesus reigns in David's throne. David, you know, the great king of the Old Testament. And Jesus reigns in David's throne. Although unlike David who died, Jesus will never die. That throne will continue for all eternity. This passage shows that the son to be, bor- the son to be born by the virgin cannot be a mere human son. The son to be born by the Virgin Mary cannot be a mere human son. He is human, but he's also deity, fully God and fully man. And this passage has not been fully fulfilled yet. Verse six, the government will rest on his shoulders. We get this picture in the New Testament that Jesus is reigning, but not literally reigning now. He's reigning, he's reigning from heaven now, but someday he's actually literally physically going to be reigning in the millennial reign, and then the new heaven and new earth. See Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two. And look at the names here: wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are these are called throne titles. They're throne titles given to Jesus. He'll be fully God, and all these titles: wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, describing His reign. He will be everlasting God. I like what one source wrote about this phrase. He is said to be everlasting, just as God the Father is called the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7.9. The Messiah will be a fatherly ruler. Third, perhaps Isaiah had in mind a promise to David in 2 Samuel 7.16 about the foreverness of the kingdom, which God promised would come through David's line. The Messiah, a descendant of David, will fulfill this promise for which the nation has been waiting. The nation had been waiting on a Davidic king. The Messiah will fulfill this promise. He'll be called the Prince of Peace, the one who will bring in and maintain the time of millennial peace when the nation will be properly related to the Lord. Verse 7 again emphasizes that there will be no end to his kingdom. There will be no end to his kingdom. Praise God, we can experience Jesus' kingdom now, but we will not fully experience Jesus' kingdom until the end when all is made right by Jesus. Another passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verses three through five. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and he'll be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In Mark chapter one, he starts out his gospel account quoting this passage about John the baptizer. John the baptizer was the one to prepare the way of the Lord. John the baptizer was a voice in the wilderness crying out to prepare for the way of the Lord, to make ready for the Messiah. Another passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, verses six through seven. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I would take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This is another prophetic passage. This passage is written some 700 years before Jesus' birth, but it's all about Jesus' coming to institute a new covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. Jesus would come. They were waiting on the Savior to come and he would fulfill the law. But it wouldn't only be for the Jewish people. He would be and has been a light for the Gentiles and non-Jews as well. Isaiah 53 is quoted in various places of the New Testament about Jesus prophesied as the hope of the world. And that chapter rings of who Jesus would come to be And what he would do, taking our sin upon him on the cross. Isaiah 53 is absolutely striking about Jesus, our Messiah. And we're not going to read that passage today. I do encourage you to to read it later on. A lady had a circle of friends for whom she really wanted to buy Christmas presents. Time slipped away, and it was so busy at work for her, she just wasn't able to get to the store to purchase purchase those gifts. Time was running out. So, not too many days before Christmas, she decided to give up on the gift idea and just buy everybody the same beautiful Christmas card. Instead of buying gifts for her circle of friends, she would buy everybody the same beautiful Christmas card. She went to the local gift store and hurriedly went through the now picked-over stack of cards. They found a box of 50. 50, just exactly what she wanted. She did not take time to read the message. Just noticed a beautiful cover on it, and there was gold around it, and there was a floral appearance on the front of the card, and she thought, that's perfect. So she signed all of them. She signed all of them with all my love, distributed those beautiful Christmas cards without reading the message inside. As New Year's came, and she had time to go back to two or three of the cards she did not send from that stack, she was shocked. To read the message inside, it said, it said in a little rhyme, this Christmas card is just to say, a little gift is on its way. (laughs) She didn't read that. She didn't know. Now a little gift is on its way. In the Old Testament, Jesus was a gift still to come. Jesus was a gift still to come. Certainly he was active in creation, but he hadn't come and become a man. He hadn't graced us with his presence. And now today he has come. But salvation has always been the same through Jesus. In the Old Testament, sins were credited to the cross. Sins were credited to the cross. In the Old Testament, they were were not ultimately saved by keeping the law. They couldn't fully keep the law. They were to do that in faith that that was the current current thing that God wanted them to do. But also faith that God was going to send a Savior. God God would send a Savior. And the Savior hadn't come yet, but they trusted that God was going to send a Savior. And their sins were credited to the cross. Jesus would later die on the cross and rise again. In the New Testament, our sins are debited to the cross. Our sins are debited, debited to Jesus's life, death, and resurrection on the cross. Always been, the same, always been saved the same way. So in the Old Testament, they are waiting on the gift, the gift of Jesus. So what is your view of Jesus? Do you view Jesus as six pounds, 18 ounces? Or whatever he would have weighed? I think that's ultimately seven pounds, by the way. Just trying to see if you're awake. Do you think of Jesus as a little baby? Some of our times, our view of Jesus is still stuck on him as a baby. He didn't stay as a baby, did he? He didn't stay meek and mild either. Do you think of Jesus as a man who walked with the disciples through three years of ministry? Do you think of Jesus as the carpenter? Maybe you think of Jesus as a man hanging on the cross. Yes, Jesus came as a baby, but he no longer is a baby. Yes, Jesus worked as a carpenter, but he no longer is a carpenter. Yes, Jesus walked with his disciples, but not anymore. Yes, Jesus hung on the cross, but he died and rose again. Jesus is no longer dead. He rose again. He lives victoriously. Death could not contain him. He took all of our sins upon the cross and rose again. I don't mean to minimize his earthly life. Jesus lived a fully human life, and he had to live a fully human life to be our human substitute for our sins on the cross. I simply want to get you thinking of Jesus as Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is the hope of the world, not a politician. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the hope of the world, not a scientist. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the hope of the world, not an entertainer. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the hope of the world, not an athlete. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the hope of the world. None of our other trivial hopes will do. Only Jesus. We must trust Jesus and only Jesus for our hope. We must trust Jesus as the hope of the world. Twas the night before Christmas. Twas the night before Jesus came and all through the house. It's a variation of 'twas the night before Christmas. Twas the night before Jesus came and all through the house. Not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come in there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash to open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear, but angels proclaiming, that Jesus is here with, with a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray. I knew in a moment that this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he had said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I, I, cried when I saw him in spite of myself. And the book of life, which he held in his hand, was written in the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to his father above. With those who were ready, he rose without sound, while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight, Oh, if only I'd been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is soon drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? They were waiting on the Messiah. Jesus prophesied all through the Old Testament. They were waiting on him to come. We're waiting for him to come again. Someday Jesus will come again. Many times we ask, why hasn't he come yet? Why hasn't this day of the Lord, the rapture of the church, the second coming happened yet? Second Peter chapter three, verses eight and nine answers that. Jesus is waiting so that more can be saved. Jesus desires that all are saved. He wants us to go and tell, go and tell the good news of Jesus. Are you telling the good news of Jesus to others? And do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Are you treasuring Jesus above everything else? Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? Some some people come to know Jesus as Savior, but not really Lord. Or they might say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be a fanatic or anything. Listen. We're not called to make Jesus halfway Lord. We're not called to be fans on the sidelines of Jesus. We're to be called to be followers of him. But more than followers of Jesus, we're called to live in a relationship with him. You've heard me. I always, John 15 is one of my favorite prayer passages. Jesus says, he is the vine, we are the branches. I don't think of vines that much. I think of... Trees and branches. So we could say Jesus is a tree trunk. We're the branch. We must be connected to Jesus like a branch to a tree trunk. And what happens if you disconnect? If you cut off that branch, it withers and dies very fast. So are you living connected to Jesus? And I would I would argue if a tree branch could talk, that tree branch would say that the trunk is its master, its lord. It organizes everything around that trunk because it gets nourishment from that trunk. It cannot live without that trunk. It would treasure the trunk, the tree trunk. Do you treasure Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you living for him? Most of the time, Jesus is one of many lords or gods in our life. Maybe we wouldn't admit that, but it's probably true because as other things come up, they 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 get in front of Jesus, don't they? Sometimes good things, but they shouldn't be in front of Jesus. Have you confessed that you're a sinner in need of a savior? Have you believed in Jesus as the one and only savior? That Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again? Have you trusted in him and committed to him? Oftentimes we confess we're a sinner in need of a savior. We've sinned against a holy, righteous God. We need a savior. Oftentimes we might say we believe that Jesus is the savior, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. But oftentimes we are not trusting in him and committing to him. If you have not done that, I encourage you do that today. Make him Lord of your Savior today. If you're one of many who would say you've confessed and you believed, but you're not trusting and committing to him, I encourage you today, don't wait for tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. No one is promised tomorrow. We live a life in a very delicate balance, and God is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's in control of the day that we pass from this life to the next. Don't wait for tomorrow. So if you're not committed to him and trusting in him, do that today. Respond to Jesus in a simple prayer, telling him that you want to trust in him as Lord and Savior. You want to commit to him. And maybe you're sitting out there and you're thinking, and there's no shame in this. No matter how long you've been here or no no matter how long you've been a Christian, no, no matter how many years you've lived, maybe you think, I have questions. Talk to me. I'd love to help you. I would love to help answer your questions. Even if you're antagonistic to the Christian faith, I would love to talk to you. I'm not gonna try to you know, say, how could you think such a thing? No, I'd love to hear you and respond. Even if you're a, a non-believer, maybe an atheist, agnostic, deist, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, whatever you are, I'd love to talk to you and have a, que- a, a conversation about the Christian faith and, uh, and even the Christian faith uh, compared to these other religions. Maybe your Christian who has doubts. Doubts aren't bad. Doubts can make us stronger in the faith as long as you do something with the doubts. We all have doubts from time to time. I would love to talk to you. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. Oftentimes, of course, we question about pain and suffering in the world. Trust me, I've researched them. I continue to research, trying to get better answers. Don't hesitate to come to me. Don't take your faith in Jesus for granted. Many times we hold our faith in Jesus too lightly. We're not praying for the Lord's grace to sustain us in the faith. We're not praying for the Lord to keep us from sin and keep us from the enemy. We're trivializing the gospel and that is a bad, bad, bad thing to do. If you are unsure about your faith, if you're not really committed to him, commit to him today. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come to you this morning and and Lord God, I just ask right now, That we would all be trusting and continually trusting in you as our Lord and Savior. We would truly be organizing our affairs around you. We would recognize, Lord, that Jesus was prophesied all the way back to the very beginning. That from the time the first sin entered the world, you provided your grace. Thank you, Jesus, so much. 700 years before you were born, we have these amazing prophecies of the Messiah such as Isaiah 9, Isaiah 40, and 42, and 53, and the servant psalms. And then, Jesus, you came, fully man and fully God, full of grace and full of truth, as John 1, 14 says. You went to the cross for us, died taking our sins upon you, and rose again. Death could not contain you. You are continually interceding for us. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here who is strayed from you, may today be the day they rededicate their life to you. Lord God, if there's anyone here today who has maybe not truly committed their life to you, they've had a casual belief, but they're not making you Lord and Savior. They're not even intending to. Some of us, Lord, I know we need encouragement that we've been saved, we're just being overly scrupulous. Others, they never even intended to make you Lord. If that's true of anyone here, may today be the day where they truly make you Lord of their life. And may they respond in a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I confess I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Today, Lord, I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Today, Lord, I'm committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen and amen. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. Uh, don't resist the Holy Spirit's calling. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you, respond to the Holy Spirit. God wants a relationship with you. As the praise team leads this closing song, if God has laid anything on your heart, come forward and pray. We we'll want people to pray with you.